We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna LaShawn McCoy was involved in the altercation that one of the members of his party tried to swipe a bottle of champagne away from one of the off-duty police officers. A struggle ensued, and in moments, there was punching, kicking, and stomping. One of the police officers was stomped on and injured, cracked a rib. The other one had an orbital bone fracture and was more seriously injured and was held in the hospital for observation. Those officers are out of the hospital. At first, they were not going to really pursue this. They were just going to call it losing a bar fight. Because of the adrenaline, they left the bar and they figured that was just a quick altercation. But then they realized what was at stake, who was involved. They knew they had to report it. And now we are in a situation where LaShawn McCoy very well could be issued a rest warrant in the next 24 to 48 hours. Welcome to the Rock Pal Report. That was Mark Schwartz from ESPN discussing the charges being levied against Shady McCoy, which we're going to touch on just a little bit. Hi, everybody. I'm Drew Gear, Bill's season ticket holder, and this is Chris Kruger producing. It's all over, folks. The 2015-2016 NFL season is officially over, with Peyton Manning, Von Miller, and the Denver Broncos being crowned NFL champions. I smoked and shredded a 10-pound pork shoulder and a pair of 6-pound roaster chickens. My basement bar was full of people, and a good time, a genuinely good time was had by all. Yeah, the, the pork and the chicken you made were friggin' awesome. Hey, I do what I can. It's nine hours of love right there, baby. It was <laughs> fantastic. Like, in the third quarter, I was, you had, like, whoever got the, the like, the mini French baguettes, I was just, like, taking a fork and putting chicken on the bread and just shoving it in my mouth <laughs> it's the best so i wanted to take a take a take a minute and just you know kind of just a mind dump on my thoughts about super bowl 50 okay now my friend travis was watching it uh, it's actually the brother of greg trelone one of our guests here on the show i would actually like to have travis on here one of these oh, days. i'm sure we'll get him on we he might re- have we might have to move it to a Thursday, one of these days, mm-hmm. just to get Travis on. He referred to the game as the Blunder Bowl, and I've got to agree that it might have been the sloppiest Super Bowl that I can remember watching, like really remember watching in recent history. 
it was worse than the last time that the Broncos got blown up by the Seahawks because at least in that game, one of the teams was acting like they actually wanted to win. It was it was hard to watch. Right now, Cam Newton is getting dumped on for not jumping on that ball, and I get it. I can see why. It looks like he totally gave up on the play, but honestly, the guy hurt his shoulder not even a couple drives earlier. Okay, he knows that team has no shot to win without him in the game, so he's not going to risk injuring himself further if he's already banged up. Let's insert somebody else into that position. What if that was Tom Brady? I said it. Get, Would every, he die for that football? Everyone needs to no. get off his case because let's say Tom Brady was in the position of Peyton Manning when he threw that ball to Coney Ely. And Coney Ely's trucking his way through the field. If, Peyton, if Tom Brady decides, or Peyton Manning, decides not to make a reckless dive at the guy's legs to try to bring, try to bring him down after the, his turnover, no one would bust his chops for it. But... You know, everyone's all over Cam Newton, and I, I don't think race has anything to do with it. I just think people don't like Cam Newton, which is understandable because, you know, he went to Auburn. Well, he does. Yeah, that's <laughs> totally not it. But Cam Newton does have a sense of arrogance about him. Yeah, it's easy for people to want to see him fail. Fail. And then afterwards, he was pissed, didn't want to talk about anything, and ended up just leaving. And, you know, I don't fault him for that either. I'm glad that yesterday, because, you know, he's not out there for the reporters. He's not out there. I get it. They have a job to do, but he does, his job, he has an obligation to say, answer a couple sentences to them. He has a minimum time that he has to spend on the podium. And when that's up, he can leave. Didn't he have a quote that he, where he said, uh, show me a good loser and I'll show you a loser? Yeah, he's got a point. And, you know, what? yesterday he told that he came out and told a whole bunch of members of the media it was along the lines of, I'm not here for you. You know, he basically stuck it to them. He says, I, I don't care what you think. You don't define me. I define me. My play defines me. You can, you all can say whatever you want. I don't care because I'm not here for you. I'm here for me. I'm here for my teammates and I'm here for my fans. <laughs> yeah. And Denver took care of Cam Newton on Sunday night. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I don't know. I just, I feel like all of this, you're just putting a bigger chip on the guy's shoulder. Don't do it. Don't do it because then he's going to come out and he's going to continue to just kick everyone's ass once he gets Kelvin Benjamin back. It's going to be ugly. Do you, would you expect Carolina to be around the same level next season? I expect them to win their division, and really, you, that's all it takes. I don't see Atlanta doing anything special. No. The Saints are on the, down, on, on the way out. Tampa Bay is still not good enough. So I see them winning their division. So don't give this guy any more ammunition to come out and be a better player than he was this year. If he comes out and has another NFL MVP caliber season, I see no reason why they couldn't win win a Super Bowl. It's almost like the NFC South is about to mirror the AFC South, Mm -hmm. which we've always seen Indianapolis winning the Mm -hmm. AFC South. It looks like we could be seeing Carolina dominate the NFC South for For a a little bit. It's going to take those other teams a lot of work to to catch up with them. A funny point, <laughs> something I saw online, and I guess it never occurred to me until well after the game, but Mike Carey went completely MIA for the night after he got that first challenge called wrong. The NFL still doesn't know what a catch is. <laughs> they went to Mike Carey, asked him what he thought as Ron Rivera's challenging it, and he's like, oh, well, if you see, he's still got control when it touches the ball to the field. This is a catch. That's a catch. And the officials came out and said it was incomplete. And at that point, I'm sure just to save face and not, you know, they didn't want any, they don't need any more controversy. They just pulled, they just took his mic away. 
No, we, I don't remember hearing Mike Carey <laughs> no. the, the rest of the game. That was it. He got the hook. <laughs> he must have got a sweet paycheck, though. Oh, man. So the Super Bowl's over, and we still don't know what a catch is. We still don't know what a catch is. No, the NFL doesn't know what a catch is. The commercials, the commercials of the Super Bowl this year were subpar. There's usually at least one or two that get a genuine laugh out of me. But this year, only a few were even that memorable. I mean, Alec Baldwin's commercial with Missy Elliott for some kind of Amazon product was probably the only one that I can actually say I enjoyed. Alexa, how many championships has Dan Marino won? Dan Marino has won zero championships. That was the best part of the commercial. I just, all in all, Alexa, it was... Alexa, how many, how many Oscars has Alec Baldwin won? <laughs> well played, Marino. Well played, Marino. The halftime show, garbage as usual. I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm probably part of a minority who believes that the last decent halftime show was put on by The Who, which was then preceded by Prince. Those are the last two decent halftime shows I've seen for the Super Bowl. I, you can, for those of you out there that listen to us regularly, I am insanely into listening to music. I have friends in Atlanta that are musicians and music promoters. Bruno Mars has absolutely zero talent. (laughs) I cannot stand Bruno Mars and his team of producers that he has write his crappy music. He's a great dancer. What does that have to do with his music? Absolutely nothing. The guy is a loser. All I know is that they did this montage. You know, you know, a shout out to all of the Super Bowl halftime shows past, you know, back to Whitney, you know, who was it? Whitney Houston. Whitney singing, Houston sang the national sang. anthem in Super Bowl twenty-five, and then you know the Michael Jackson did it, and you know they showed cl- all these clips. I don't know why they didn't show. Musicians. I don't know why they didn't show Janet Jackson and JT. Yeah, that ripping boob. Well, I think the most egregious snub of all, the one thing that really could have brought it back for me, is if they had just given a shout out to Left Shark, who clearly made last year's halftime show what it was. Without him, that show is nothing. I don't even remember last year's halftime show. That's because you were probably at a kid's birthday party or paying attention to hockey. No, where I was, I was at my. <laughs> I watched that game last year at my soon-to-be ex-in-laws, <laughs> and I don't remember Left Shark. I think Left Shark is there's a shark downtown, isn't there? A shark downtown at Canal Side. You can get your picture with. You make me sick. I don't know what that is. Google it, my friend. That's the beauty of the Google machine. So I'm taking a look here. Peyton Manning won a Super Bowl while posting a worse stat line than Trent Dilfer did in 2000. Now, was, I it better that, than, was it better than his stat line with Indianapolis when they won? No. No. He finished with less than 200 yards, no touchdowns, and a pick. So I called that in probably the middle of the third quarter. I said, he's going to do it. And everyone's like, what? And I told Travis, I'm going to, I'm going to put money on the fact that he's going to finish with a worse, worse stat line than Dilfer. And you know what? The joke's on everybody else because I'm getting a free cheeseburger tomorrow. Bang. From where? <laughs> From, and 
poo and <laughs> because people explain. because people like to bet things. It's like Trent Dilfer was the worst thing ever. That's never going to happen. I'm Ooh. like, he will not throw a touchdown. And everyone kept saying between Mikey and Bob, they both thought two of the guys who were in attendance thought that there wasn't any way that Peyton Manning finished that game with no touchdowns. Who are you getting a free cheeseburger from, and where is it coming from? Well, I'm getting paid, so I'm going to take that money, and I'm going to buy the fattest bacon cheeseburger I can get my hands on, and it's going to be the best. I wish you told me about that. I would have loved to have played something <laughs> about Randy from Trailer Park Boys and his cheeseburgers. Uh, all I know is the quarterback play was supposed to be the big draw in this Super Bowl, and it might have been one of the most embarrassing aspects of the entire game. Well, coming into the game, both teams were uh, – their defense was their, was their bread and butter. I mean, if I had to say anything, I think th- one of the few highlights of the night for me was watching Tom Brady get booed when they went over the list of former Super Bowl MVPs in attendance. For the New England Patriots, Tom Brady. <laughs> yep, you can, you can hear them boo birds from uh, Jim Nance. CBS Sports. It's fantastic. So that brings me to our usual hero and zero of the game. Now, I'm sure you're all aware of this, but the hero of Super Bowl 50 was Mr. Von Miller. So that is why I am better than everyone in the world. Kiss my and suck my everyone. I mean, the MVP award says it all. The The strip sack. The guy forced the biggest plays of the game. And he was a force this whole preseason. I mean, postseason. My apologies. He deserves the accolades. He deserves the spotlight. And he's going to get paid really nicely for this. I mean, what what a better way to go into free agency is having just one Super Bowl MVP. Yeah, I wonder if he's going to call Joe Flacco. I know, right? About that, Look at right? what happened with Joe Flacco. Joe Flacco got some fat contract just because he was a Super Bowl MVP and probably really didn't deserve all of the money that Baltimore threw at him. Well, I'll tell you, Von Miller earned every penny what he's about to get. And then we've got the zero of Super Bowl 50, the GOAT, the whipping boy, Mr. Michael Orr. From blindside to blindsided, or was a tire fire for the majority of the game. There's a ton of clips of him just getting shoved around. There's the one that went viral today of him sliding on the grass. I get it. You can blame the turf for a lot of things. But the Carolina defensive line has a lot of talent on it. And I didn't see anything like that out of the tackles from Denver, who aren't all that good in their own right. So... You know, those guys didn't get abused the way he did. He personally he personally allowed some of the worst plays of the game to happen. DeMarcus Ware, Von Miller. Were, the, yeah. They were running around him like he was, you know, a, a tackle dummy. Whoever lined up on the other side of him, I mean, he might as well have been a road cone with a Panthers jersey on. Yep. It was embarrassing. You blew it! And so now that we've touched on the Super Bowl and we've, this, you know, the season is officially over. One of the biggest stories brewing here in the the post the immediate postseason, really, for the Buffalo Bills is this developing story with LaShawn McCoy. Super Bowl party. Super Bowl party. And you know, he's being investigated for an alleged assault on two off-duty police officers on Sunday night in Philadelphia. The officers were left hospitalized with broken ribs, broken noses, and a, one of them suffered a broken orbital bone. 
However, nothing definitive has been construed so far because the surveillance cameras at the bar were quote unquote not working at the time, which happens to be one of my favorite parts of the whole story because you know someone got paid for that. How how convenient that the, the night this scuffle breaks out, your security co- equipment just happens to not be functioning. Great. Here is what we do know. I saw my own son use a bicycle as a weapon. This fight apparently broke out over a dispute between the off-duty officers and the people in McCoy's party over champagne that they had ordered and I guess the officers took. Now, witnesses claim that a shoving match between the men started when the players took the bottle back from the officers, which then resulted in an all-out brawl. You drunk? No. But this ought to do it. Now, thanks to the work of multiple media outlets and you know, the online publication CrossingBroad.com in particular, we can with some certainty verify that McCoy was in attendance. By you know, they, they put a lot of work into this. You know, they found pictures of him from Instagram and from Twitter that had been put out earlier in the night and later in the night with the outfit he was wearing to the, you know, to the pictures and the video of someone who was actually there kind of in the brouhaha as it was happening. Now, having said that, the video itself that the authorities have and the only video that exists, you know, at least to the public's knowledge, is very grainy. It's a poorly shot video and it's in a dimly lit area, you can't really tell who's doing what. It's 2016. What, what piece of technology does not have a high-definition camera? Here's what I will say. Because of the lack of solid video evidence, I think it's going to be difficult for prosecutors to allege with any kind of real certainty that McCoy, he, McCoy himself, not, hey, he was there with a bunch of guys and a fight broke out. Okay, maybe that is what happened. But it's going to be difficult for them to say McCoy himself assaulted these police officers. Personally, I believe he'd already be under arrest if they had any way to any concrete evidence to prove this or substantiate what they're alleging he did. That's why you have people in in your crew is for those well, situations. Exactly. And so that's the thing. You all, literally the video I saw. You can see it's LaShawn McCoy because he's wearing this stupid fur coat. It's one of the ugliest things I've ever seen on a man. I don't know why he... Like, in general, it's the ugliest coat I've ever seen. But then he's a man wearing it. So already, I'm just like, Shady, what are you doing? Did you say it was a fur coat? A fur coat. Yeah. If, when you say fur coat, right now my brain immediately goes to Ghostbusters. And that fur coat <laughs> turned into raccoons. And, That's awesome. And the woman took it off, and the raccoon jacket ran down New York, you know, wherever in New York City. So, you know, he, he, he's definitely there. But you can't physically see him do anything. I've watched it half a dozen times. Now, his attorney claims that he would turn himself in if they were to, in fact, obtain a warrant for his arrest and levy formal charges against him. However, I'm skeptical of this. Not that he would turn himself in, but that they're actually going to be able to levy charges against him that will stick. Because all they have, you know, the evidence that they have or that exists at this point, they have it all. They've had days to review it. They still haven't made a decision. So if they do, they're going to be doing it just hoping that, I, I mean, I'm assuming. I, I think that what they're hoping to do is to levy some charges against him. His attorney's going to fight it and they can get him to plead to a lesser charge. 
that's what I foresee the outcome of this being. I mean, they don't have a smoking gun. And without that, how can you actually levy criminal charges against somebody? Well, if you, me, Bob, and Mikey are out at the bar and a fight breaks out. You'll be in it. <laughs> that's, that's not, I plead the fifth. Not, you will be the first to jump. You will be the first to jump in. I have. I am in no way, shape, or form involved in any shenanigans ever, Chris. I'm a saint. So <laughs> yeah, if it was us four, you would jump in. I would have already left the premise. <laughs> Chris would already be running across the street. Yeah. But Bob, so Bob would have been cheering you on. But, but so my point is. If you got if if a fight breaks out and you just happen to be standing there, and let's say you're grabbing at me, you're trying to pull me out of whatever may be happening, and there there really is no evidence of it, but someone sees this going on and calls the police. How are they going to like? They could say, "Oh, it was though that group of guys was involved in the fight." They could very well tell the police that. But can the police criminally charge you with anything if you didn't physically put your hands on that and they have no proof of it? I don't think so. I don't think that if they don't have evidence that he hit these, that he actually took part in the beating, then I don't know. That's why you have certain people in your crew to take the hit for this. So I don't know. if they get. Well, and I think that's what, I think that's how this is going to play out. I, I foresee someone in his crew taking the fall for this. Oh, yeah. And who's going to, who's going to pay for the well, exactly. legal stuff <laughs> and I think, when it comes to this? I think it'll Shady. all get taken care of, kind of the way Ray Lewis's little incident there got taken care of. Somebody yeah. took the fall. Somebody got paid. Well, let's take it to a football perspective. <laughs> Do you see Shady McCoy getting suspended? Well, the NFL is going to be watching the situation closely. They said that they don't. It's not imminent that he'll be placed on paid leave because there is no football happening right now. So really, he is on leave. He's already not being paid for his time. He's still subject to the discipline policy, but because he's not, because the season isn't, it's not an active season. They have no reason to suspend him right now. So they're going to take a wait and see approach. And I, I think that we as fans should take the same approach. And I've also got really probably, you know, if you want to talk about an unpopular opinion. I don't want anyone out there to think I'm biased towards police officers or that I'm advocating violence towards them in any way, shape, or form. But can someone tell me what the hell two off-duty cops are doing getting into a fight over booze in a bar with a bunch of extremely large men in the first place? I get it. You know, you're, you're a cop, and it takes a certain amount of swagger to do that job. You really have to have a kind of self-confidence to go out there every day and be a police officer. And I respect the hell out of that. But I know cops. And I know that there's it takes all kinds. Now, I know some guys who are cops who are some of the nicest guys I know. And then I know some guys who are cops who are some of the biggest jackasses I've ever met. I, don't, I, I can't speak to these officers in particular, but it strikes me as odd that there's off-duty cops getting into a fight with somebody else over champagne that they clearly didn't order and didn't belong to them. Because I don't think these players would have started a fight over something. Yeah. Well, let's keep it going there. Is This happened in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Philadelphia is a sports town. So if people are out at bars and somebody notices Shady McCoy is out, mm-hmm. people are going to know that that's, that that's Shady McCoy. You know, it's not like Atlanta where somebody goes out to somebody famous on one of the, their sports teams goes out to a bar and nobody notices them. It was Philadelphia. They're a sports town. 
Oh, I guarantee you, the police officers that were at this well, they bar, said it. They said it in the report that they were just going to leave it alone, and they're like, "Oh, wait, that was Lashawn McCoy." Oh, well, then we have to turn this into something. Exactly, since he got <laughs> traded from Philly. <laughs> I, at the end of the day, I think that both parties are to blame for this. They've already said that the officers won't be charged with any wrongdoing. Which, yeah, okay, whatever, that's fine. Somebody kicked these guys' asses, so. There's going to be some consequences for that. I just don't think that without any hard evidence, you can really convict McCoy of anything. They don't have any hard evidence. So if anything else, they may charge him in hopes that they can get him to plead to a lesser to a lesser charge. And that way, they still kind of get their pound of flesh. And at the same time, everyone just gets to move on with their lives. Yeah. And hopefully he won't get suspended for the beginning of the season. So that's my take on the situation. Now, for those of us who follow me uh, on Twitter at Rockpile Report, you know, I'll, I'll be sure to keep everyone updated on what I hear and you know just what I see going on and what we think as we move forward in all this. As and I'll be tweeting out Saber reports to our Twitter account. God. <laughs> you know, sometimes I have to remind myself not to drink and get on our Twitter. I really do. What did you do? <laughs> I don't know if anyone else out there pays attention, but there's a lot of times I, I, I tweet things and then within 10 minutes have to delete them. I'm like, oh, don't do that. I'm tweeting about how angry I am at the North Carolina Tar Heels. And I'm like, oh, wait, take that back. That, <laughs> that, that just makes you sound like a jerk off. That might get us foulers. That's what we need. Social Be controversial. Be the Skip Bayless of Twitter. See, the thing is, I just use too much profanity. Okay, cut back on the profanity. Because drunk. Because, you know, just like drunk. I yeah. tw- you, you know me, Chris. Yeah. I try to tweet like I talk. Yep. Yeah, and that's but a problem. But you only have like 140 characters to tweet. <laughs> You'd be surprised how much hate one person could get out in 140 characters. I don't like using 140 characters because um, I'd like to to I type out tweets in full, complete English sentences. Yeah, you can't do that. I know. Using the correct version of their, <laughs> using the correct version of your. And that's why nobody likes you. No. You're no fun at parties. No, that's why I'm getting divorced. <laughs> Nobody likes me because he doesn't use because he doesn't use abbreviated English in his tweets. Cheers to that, brother. Cheers. So last last show, I talked about the Senior Bowl, gave you guys some names to chew over, people to watch, guys I thought were going to be standout performers, and I wasn't disappointed because a lot of the guys I talked about went on to have great days, just great. Great games. Well, for the most part, practices, some of them stood out. So uh, I recorded the game, watched it, you know, then kind of compared it to my notes, you know, that I had had beforehand and some of the reports that I was seeing, you know, from a lot of NFL draft pundits out there. And I, my takeaway was I found a group of players that I'm going to really try to focus on, you know, come the NFL combine. First and foremost, the guy at the forefront of this entire group is Carson Wentz. The top player at the game's most important position, small school product, Carson Wentz. Mayock said there are four quarterbacks that could potentially go in the first round. Wentz, the only one that didn't play FBS football last season. The last non-FBS QB to go in the first round, Joe Flacco in 2008. Mayock has Jared Goff of Cal ranked second among signal callers. 
And that was Patrick Claybon from NFL Network. I don't know. I mean, out of all the hype that's going on, going around right now about Carson Wentz, the fact that people think he might go in the top five is hard for me to swallow. Yeah, Hugh Jackson has like already talked to him or something along those lines. Like that could really set Cleveland back another twenty years. I just, if you break down who the guy is, physically he passes the eye test. He's big. He's got size. He's got a he's got a big arm. Yeah, and in practice, this you know, it practiced the Senior Bowl that entire week. Critics were all over him with praise, just heaping it on him. But then, when the bullets started flying and the game actually got underway, look, his numbers were neck. He was the epitome of mediocre: six of ten for fifty yards, no picks, no touchdowns. That's exactly almost, what. That's exactly what Cleveland is. Almost fumbled the ball once. So I started digging a little bit deeper into analysis about Wentz because. I'd heard that the Bills were interested in him last year watching him. And then coming into this season, everyone got a hold of his name and just ran away with it. I mean, there's... I've, I've got... Cons- you know, I've, I've got concerns the more I read about who he is and how he's played as a quarterback and what his game looks like when you watch him long term. Now, I have to say, I didn't watch him at all this season because I don't watch FCS football. I don't go out of my way to watch that. So, I think the only place you can was North Dakota State. Yeah. I think all of their games are on ESPN3. Yeah. So for those that have a Roku or any kind of connected device, like myself... And if I knew who that was, I might have watched. Well, so according to featured columnist from Bleacher Report, Justice Mosqueda, his stats when it comes to passing on the run are huge. He's like Ben Roethlisberger. When the guy can roll out of the pocket and get some time, you know, he buys time, time with his legs and he uses his arm to find guys, you know, find open receivers. One of the biggest downsides to his game is when he's forced to throw from the pocket. Now, from everything I've and this is not only from his article, but from some other things I've read out there, his feet aren't his feet aren't good. He's not good at working through his progressions while getting his feet set to throw the ball when he's ready, which leads to him sometimes double and triple, triple clutching the ball in the pocket. Which now, if if you talk about playing it against FCS competition, you might be able to get away with that. You probably can't do it at the FBS level, and you sure as hell can't do it at the NFL level. Sure as hell can't do it against Alabama full time. Alabama would have eaten him alive. I after seeing some of the games he played and the way that they're kind of gimmicky. You know, we're going to run a lot of screens, and you know, when we do throw the ball downfield, it's usually with him moving the pocket, him leaving, him running one side to the other. They would have they would have crushed them. But And that's my fear for him as a pro quarterback if you bring him in and just try to make him your franchise guy to the gate. Okay. He had a tendency, from what I've read, he shows a tendency to you know, take a lot of unnecessary hits because of his inability to get the ball out quickly when he's in the pocket. I mean, he, he had multiple injury-shortened seasons. That ha- Now, that is happening at the FCS level. You're not talking about going up against the top competition in the country in college football. And you're sure as hell not talking about going up against NFL caliber defenses. Let's let's take it let's take it there to the NFL. Now, who's the first team that's possibly going to select him? Okay, so let's Cleveland. so let's say it's Cleveland. Pittsburgh's Cleveland takes defense, him. Baltimore's defense. He, you cannot. 
you can't expect him to step into a situation like that and succeed. What you would almost hope to see is a situation where a team drafts him and gives him the Aaron Rodgers treatment. Let's him sit for a couple of years. Let's him work. Let's him get up to speed. Because I mean, you saw it with Blake Bortles too. Blake Bortles, his first year didn't look anything like he looked this year. This year, down the stretch, he was good. He was really good. Exactly. That's, that's what, because he finally started to acclimate himself to NFL speed. Or we can just give 100% of the credit to Nathaniel Hackett. I hate you. <laughs> Quarterback coach. I hate you so much. Don't even... God. So, all I know is... <laughs> with vanilla D schemes... At the Senior Bowl. You know, they're not game planning for these quarterbacks. They're just letting guys go out there playing base 4-3 defenses, which really, I think, isn't fair to 3-4 defenders. You know, guys from like guys from teams like Alabama who run a 3-4. It's not easy to do in, the, in college football, but teams do it. I mean, Clemson kind of runs like a hybrid 4-3, 3-4 defense depending on their look. So you're not really being fair to those types of guys when you only run a 4-3 and just line your guys up in one scheme and just play. But at the same time, that's all it took to keep him in check. Who were the who was the coaching staff for the senior bowl? Jacksonville? Dallas's staff got to got to coach the team that Carson Wentz was playing for, and I think Jacksonville had the other one. So, so uh, Jason Garrett, former NFL quarterback, the week of practices with Carson Wentz. Mm-hmm. Dallas is at they're four, right? I could see. See, now that strikes me as the perfect situation. Team with a strong offensive line. Team that's working to develop a running game. I wouldn't go as far as to call a team, them a strong offensive line as it is the best offensive line. And a team with a legitimate starting quarterback who Carson Wentz can sit behind and be groomed down the road for when you know, he eventually has to step in and take over. That is the dream scenario for Carson Wentz's career, I think. Yeah. What, how old? Tony Romo's got to be, what, 36? Is he he's, like, in his, he's, he's in his, his mid 30s. Yeah. You'll have to Google that. But that, that does seem like a way better situation than going to Cleveland and sitting behind Johnny Manziel. But I just think that whoever takes him, if a team has that's taking him has to do so knowing that he's not going to play right away. Because it doesn't sound like. In fact, Joe Flacco. Joe Flacco is lucky in the sense, and it's funny because I actually have a bet going with a friend of mine. The Matt Ryan and Joe Matt Ryan, Flacco, Joe Flacco bet. bet. During the NFL draft when Matt Ryan and Joe Flacco were drafted, I made the bet that Joe Flacco was going to have a better career than Matty Ice. My friend took that. The wager is a case of beer. We'll probably both be well into our 40s by the time it's ever actually resolved. But the fact is, is Joe Flacco got... What? The best possible situation because he got drafted by a franchise that always gets strong defensive line play, generally has a strong offensive line and running game. So out of the gate, they didn't ask him to do more than he was actually capable of doing. When it comes to the bet, how do you, what was the criteria to break down who had a better career? Nope. Passing yards, completion percentage, Super Bowl rings. Everything you have to consider the whole you know someone's career as a whole. Which one do you think, if they came up on your ballot, if you had to pick one or the other? Right now, it's Joe Flacco. Right now, it's Joe Flacco. And it's Joe Flacco simply because I hate Matt Ryan and the Atlanta Falcons. See, I see, I think it's Joe Flacco because he engineered a Super Bowl. He, he, has, he engineered a Super Bowl. What has Matt Ryan done in the playoffs? 
No, nah, he took he took his team to the NFC Championship game. I I can tell you, there was I think it was 2010 Green Bay at Atlanta for a divisional playoff game, and I went out to our uh, Buffalo Bills bar, which was Hudson Grill at the time. That place was packed with people for that football game, and Green Bay blew out Atlanta, and that bar was empty in the second quarter. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But so, getting back to my original point, Carson Wentz, if you're going to draft him, he needs to sit. I just don't think, especially coming from the FCS, I mean, he needs a vertical passing game. That's the other thing that I don't like about his game. Because of how his unsteadiness in the pocket and the his ability to roll out that's fine but you're not going to call bubble screens don't get you much in the NFL in I don't college, know ask Shane Gailey you get away with it at the NFL at the FCS level in some cases at the FBS level the NFL the defend, defenders are just too fast there's fewer mismatches to take advantage of in those kind of spread offenses I mean Carson to be fair because I've been pretty critical of him here he looks like he has the tools to maybe develop into a great quarterback. So it'll be interesting to see come the combine and then you know, and draft see day. where he ends up. That would, what you had mentioned earlier, Dallas would seem to be the fit as long as Dallas keeps winning and I would say Jerry Jones keeps holding on to Jason Garrett. Yeah. So he doesn't have to switch playbooks. Now, the next guy on my list, Noah Spence. Now, that was a guy I talked about last week. If this guy can answer the character questions that are going to come along with, you know, getting banned for life from the Big Ten for drug use, (laughs) when he gets to interview with teams at the Combine, if he can answer those questions, his pure ability and athleticism as a pass rusher should be enough to get him into the top 20 of the NFL draft. He looked pretty fluid in his pass rush. I mean, he was unblockable during the practice portion of the game. He's got nice bend on the edge, but he's got a lot of violence in his hands. You see it, he, he's good at disengaging from guys, which is huge if you're going to be an edge rusher because when that tackle gets his hands on you after the snap, if you can't beat him with pure speed, you got to be able to get some separation and try to cut back inside on him or you know try a swim move or a whatever spin. the case. Yeah. So the fact that he has the you know not only the ability but he's got some a little bit of refinement almost to his technique that is rare to see in a guy who played for Eastern Kentucky University. One thing he's going to have to work on, his run defense isn't the best. He's he's not a liability, but at the same time, it's not his forte. And you saw it a couple times during the Senior Bowl where they ran straight at him and he wasn't quite prepared for it or he took a bad angle to get to the ball carrier and missed his, you know, missed his hole. I think that if he can brush up that part of his guy, I mean, and I don't know how much he was ever asked to cover in space. I didn't get to see him do it a whole lot during the game because, like I said, vanilla schemes. But he could end up being a poor man's Von Miller if he refines his overall game because it seems like the tools are really there. I see a top 20 NFL pick in that guy. Up next is Braxton Miller. Now, just like Wentz, this guy showed off athletic chops all week in practice and just got a ton of praise from every scout that was in attendance. And one-on-one with you know defensive backs and even some, you know the two-on-ones, you know lining up in drills with the safety over the top, he was almost uncoverable. But then once the game started, he was hard to find out there sometimes because he didn't make any plays. 
He didn't do anything, and that's concerning to me. When you're playing a defense that isn't game planning specifically to shut you down, and yet you're quiet all day, even with all of your athletic ability, that's a concern. Well, where is Braxton Miller supposed to go in the draft? What rounds? It's no one knows. I think a lot of it's going to depend on his combine. I mean, he's got he's got speed. He's got decent hands. He's you know, his athleticism is top notch, and he's made some crazy plays this season. There was a spin move that he used. It was like a 35, 40 yard touchdown pass that he caught the ball. And then pulled a spin move and just blew through the, the safety's tackle attempt and just walked into the end zone. That's great. NFL teams are going to love to see what he does against Akron. Well, and exactly. that's it's a, He only has a year at receiver. Yeah. And so it's one of those situations where you're drafting him knowing he's an athlete but still needs refinement as a wide receiver. I'd see him going in the second or third round maybe. Some team might just take a gamble on the fact that he's highly athletic and take him in the lower portion of the second. I mean, I I don't know. I, I think that's going to be what I watch most about him at the Combine is seeing, you know, what does he show me? Is his athleticism so astounding that he creeps into that middle of the second round draft, you know, middle of the second round conversation? Or is he a guy who just kind of shows up, he just looks like another guy out there, and... Teams take him in the third, maybe fourth. I think you'd have to you'd have to you'd have to get him on a team that has a that already has a receiver, a well established receiver that can show him some more uh, finer facets of being a receiver. Mm-hmm. And you know, I don't think that Arizona is looking for a receiver with. Literally Fitzgerald, Michael Floyd, John Brown, but I would think that somebody somebody that has the the work ethic of Larry Fitzgerald would help Braxton Miller. Yeah, it could be. It'll be interesting to see what happens. It's funny because the only other quarterback I talk about during this entire prospect isn't under this entire prospect thing overview isn't Kevin Hogan. I was, <laughs> was going to ask you about Kevin Hogan. Kevin Hogan did all right. Nah, but you weren't impressed. Well, there was somebody who just impressed me more. Dak Prescott. I'll be honest. I never really considered Prescott as an NFL quarterback prospect. You know, I I watch him play. You know, I watch a lot of SEC football, so I've seen him play over the years. Is he even? Is he even like listed as going in the draft as a quarterback? Mm-hmm. He's probably they have him listed right now. Well, before the Senior Bowl, they had him dra- listed as being drafted, potential anywhere between the fourth and sixth round. You know, he's definitely a developmental prospect. He's not. I think the thing I see from him, I see a lot of Russell Wilson in his game. I mean, he put on what might have been the most impressive quarterback performance of the day during the Senior Bowl. He had good velocity on his throws. There was a touchdown pass that he threw where the guy was. Coming across, the wide receiver runs a post route, and there's the safety. The safety's there, and the cornerback's on him, and he has to fit that ball into a tight window. And he did it, and made it look somewhat effortless. I, I that sold me. But just watching the way he multiple times threw into coverage, but put the ball where he needed to in order to beat it, and you know not allow a turnover. And over the years of just watching him play at Mississippi State, he's shown that he's a willing rusher. And because of his size, he's six foot two, but he's muscular. He's probably about 230 pounds. He can take 
hits. So he's run the ball a lot during his career. But this year he set out and said, I'm going to show teams that I can be a pocket passer. And he set career records for completion percentage, for yardage, for touchdowns. He only, I think his touchdowns are 24 and 5. You know, 24 touchdowns, 5 picks. That's pretty good playing in the SEC. All in all, I think, you know, I think he looks more like Russell Wilson than Tyrod Taylor when you talk about a mobile quarterback. I'm going to keep an eye on him at the combine just to see how his overall accuracy and his ability to just understand football because all the other, you know, how that all plays out because all the other intangibles seem to be there. His teammates love him. You know, he's a fan favorite. The coaching staff raves about his just leadership, his work ethic and everything else. So it sounds a lot to me like he could be a guy who you can draft in some one of the later rounds and just develop him and work on it. And maybe best case scenario, he becomes your number two quarterback with quarterback one upside. Would you see any teams drafting Dak Prescott? Is is like what people were talking about Tim Tebow drafting him as like a tight end H back because he does have the size. He has like a running back physique to him. I don't know about that. What I will say is he could play. He could do some wildcat stuff. I'm starting to. Uh, I'm starting to warm up to the idea of Dak Prescott in a Bills jersey. In the fourth, fifth round? Fourth, fifth round? I mean, I called, I said it before when we were talking about drafting. And actually, I think I said it again on uh, AFC East Bros podcast when I was on the phone with them the other night. I expect to see a draft that looks something in the first three rounds. I expect to see defensive liner linebacker in the first two rounds. D-tackle, you know, D-end, D-tackle, linebacker. One of those three positions is going to end up getting taken with our first two picks. In fact, you may see all, you know, two of those three positions getting taken with our first two. And then if we took a quarterback, a a solid developmental prospect, a quarterback in the third. Kevin Hogan. Or a wide receiver, I'd call that draft a home run. But... It's all going to come down to who they take, the combine, and everything else. I just know that I like what Dak Prescott brought to the table that week. And then Vernon Butler. Hello, I've never heard of you before. Well, you better get used to it because the hype train for this guy is leaving the station. What college, what position, I don't know who this is. Vernon Butler is a defensive tackle from Louisiana Tech. Okay? We have Kyle Williams. We have Marcel Darius. Some scouts are already comparing him to Muhammad Wilkerson. He's being pegged as a second-round pick with a potential rise based on his combine performance. After watching him play in that game and after going online and researching you know, some of his highlights and just seeing, you know, reading different things about him, he plays with a lot of power. And for an interior lineman, he's got, a, he's got some solid pass rush moves. There was a play in the senior bowl where he literally lifts the guard. Ball gets snapped. He grabs the guard and backs him up off of his feet directly into the quarterback, who I believe was Jake Coker. Forcing boy, Coker! Forcing a sack slash fumble. Just runs the guard right back into him. It's incredible. So to see a guy who is, he's six foot four, 323 pounds, to see him be able to, you know, he plays with good pad level. 
He's, it seems like, and, and throughout the course of the game, his play didn't waver. It wasn't like he made a couple flash. That's the problem with the young kids. You'll see these guys make a couple flash plays and then, like Noah Spence, you'll see him make a couple flashy plays and then you'll see somebody run the ball at him and he just kind of uh, can't figure it out and you know, he makes a mistake or a mental error. Did you take the, do you take this as a possible replacement for Kyle Williams? I would love to see it. I wouldn't mind. I mean, if if he could bring what he brought to the Senior Bowl every every Sunday, I could see him being a second round pick. I absolutely could. His leverage was good. I guess all week, you know, during practice, they said that he was just a monster for these offensive linemen, just dominating you know, dominating the drills. And then even in the running game, he just eats up blockers. It was awesome to watch him play. And considering we're a team that really does need a, a legitimate three-four nose tackle, I just feel like he might be another guy that Bills fans may want to get acquainted with because he has the potential to be on our radar. Now, as usual, I took the Monday after the Super Bowl off because it should be a national holiday. Absolutely, it should be. That's that's a day for everyone to just bask in the fading glow that is the previous NFL season. And to just reflect on how awesome, how awesome football is and how terrible the next six months of my life are going to be without it. But so I stayed home to clean up the house and, you know, try to avoid that dreaded post-Super Bowl office hangover situation. It's never good. You know, you, no one wants to be that guy who shows up to the office just clearly not, not clear-minded he doesn't want to be there. How many times has that been you? I don't want to talk about it. Now, it went well, but by noon, I'd already worked out, gave the dog a bath, cleaned up the house, the smoker, cleaned everything I could think of to clean, detailed my truck. So what I did was I rounded up all of the beers that I determined couldn't actually fit into the fridge behind my bar. What's the beer count? The beer count is 103. That's how many leftover beers I have. It's fantastic. <laughs> and let me, I'm going to take a guess, because in case of the people that don't listen to this, we live in Buffalo. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> You've been, people have been listening to this since we started in, in August. We live in Buffalo. How many of those beers are Labatt Blue slash Labatt Blue Light? I have to be honest, and I think it's probably somewhere in the 40 to 50 range. That is a lot lower than I thought. I'm a Yingling fan. I can't help it. But still, I rounded up all of the beers that I determined couldn't fit in the fridge and decided to sit down, draw the blinds, get myself some wing dip that Chris was nice enough to leave in my house, and watch the Four Falls of Buffalo. Two months later. Literally... Two months later, today, February 10th, is the two-month anniversary of Four Falls of Buffalo. Now, I'm just, I've, I've got a lot of thoughts about it. I've been thinking about it ever since I watched it. I think I'm going to watch it a second time. Seeing Scott Norwood, even as an adult, tear up when he talks about missing that kick and just how bad he felt. And then how much it meant that he showed up here in Buffalo so that they could do a rally at City Hall. And 30,000 fans showed up and were all chanting his name. He talks about not wanting to be at the podium and how he wanted to just kind of hang out in the back and he didn't want to see anybody because he was embarrassed. 
And the crowd just started chanting his name. And he said he's never, he's married, he has kids, and he said he has never felt more loved by anyone ever than in that moment right there. Let's take, because that's January or February 1990. Let's take that 25 years into the future and add Twitter and Facebook to that. You think all those people are going to be chanting, we want Scott at City Hall? No. You're going to want that's, that dude's that's head on a stick. That's what makes it special, man. You know, they... And that kick totally ruined the guy's career because when he got cut for Steve Christie, mm-hmm. he couldn't find another job and he had to retire. Oh, yeah, he was definitely blackballed after that. Another thing, I was shocked to see how young Berman looked. When they showed clips of Chris Berman, there was, I don't know, I just figured he's always looked the same. He hasn't aged at all to me. But then when I see a picture of him from 1990, you know, no biggie, just almost 30 years ago, he he looked young. He had hair. He, he wasn't quite so fat. <laughs> <laughs> oh... One thing I will say is the directors did a great job of mixing in game footage with, you know, with their interviews with the different players. And one of my favorite aspects of the entire the entire show was seeing Bruce and Thurman together on a couch rewatching the Super Bowl games, just rewatching game footage together. Yeah, how about I I even showed it to you in, in the kitchen on Sunday. I pulled up the Netflix on my phone and I showed you the uh, play from Super Bowl twenty six where I. Jim Kelly and Kenny Davis got uh, crossed up, and mm-hmm. I paused it, and you could see that hole that Thurman Thomas should have ran through if he had his helmet. Yeah. I, it just seemed like the biggest theme of it was that every game, there was just one thing. There was just one. There, were, there was something that happened that just completely derailed us. And we never the, in Super Bowl twenty five. It was the first drive of the second half, which was like mm-hmm. a. I think it's still a Super Bowl record. It was like a fourteen minute drive by the Giants, mm-hmm. and then Super Bowl twenty six. Thurman loses his helmet and is missed on the first drive of the game, and then Super Bowl twenty seven. I believe is Pasadena against Dallas. We had nine turnovers, Super Bowl record, mm-hmm. and then. We just gave up at halftime of Super Bowl. What are we at, 28? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I will say that watching Bruce and Thurman watching the game together and just seeing the fact that after that last Super Bowl, like, Bruce Smith is clearly tearing up. And he's having a hard time just trying to talk his way through it. I don't know. It, it makes it hurt a little less knowing that deep down they care. Those guys care about these games. You know, they hurt it seems like it still hurts them. From a from a fan perspective, I liked the the input that they had played from previous clips of Tim Russert mm-hmm. from NBC. That guy's such a huge Bills fan. And I like how he had he had put it like for the Bills winning mm-hmm. the Super Bowl, like, you know, the Giants, they got they got New York City, Washington, they got they got all the monuments and the White House and Dallas, you know, is oil and, you know, huge skyscraper buildings, big city. I mean, we're Buffalo. 
Mm-hmm. This is all we have mm-hmm. is this football team. Mm-hmm. No. No, seeing Tim Russert, that, that was another thing. Got me a little misty-eyed. I'll admit, I cried during the Scott I cried, Norwood. I've cried every time I've watched it, and I've watched it like seven times. I cried during the Scott Norwood segment, and I cried again when Tim, you know, when they were talking to Tim Russert, just seeing him out there. And uh, I, was, I guess I was too young to appreciate the NFL bias that kind of grew against the Buffalo Bills by the time we went to our last Super Bowl. I mean, at one point, I had a really sobering thought, you know, through my drunken hazes, I'm watching this. The Buffalo Bills were the New England Patriots of that generation. We had a Hall of Fame quarterback, a quick passing shotgun offense, you know, great running game, elite defensive players, and we would just buzzsaw teams if they let our offense get running. Yeah, and we would just take advantage of all these teams that tried to line up, like the Raiders in that playoff game where they tried to line up and play. And they called a timeout on the first de- drive. Old school defense against us, and we just ran over them. We might have been the one thing that I hate most. <laughs> and that was a very sobering thought. Could you um, just imagine if you were around for those teams? And you're 24 years old. I you would blame the bills on your alcoholism. You would I, be in and out of alcohol rehab, and you would try to foot the bill to the bills. I don't know. I just I, I'd see it in my dad. You know, my father. My dad took those Super Bowls kind of tough, and it's you know, and then the Music City Miracle, and now I talk to my dad and. You know, I'll go to my parents' house and I'll try to watch the game with my parents. And he'll go outside at halftime and won't come back in. He's out in the yard doing things. And, you know, the third quarter started and he's not there glued to the TV. I think that run, you know, in his late 20s, early 30s, that run of games just broke him. And the Music City Miracle finished him off and it just killed his fandom. I think deep down that's why I think that's why I root so hard for this team. Not even so much for myself, but because I remember what it was like being a little kid and seeing my dad get super fired up over the Bills being good. And so to know that he doesn't have that anymore, it's it's heartbreak. It really is. And I just he and it's it I can tell he still cares. Because you know, he comes back and I'll get after every game I'll get the phone call. Whether it was a home game, an away game, I get the call. My dad wants to talk to me about football. And I'll ask him, oh, did you watch the game? And he'll say, no, no, I had stuff I was doing. And, you know, he cares. He just, he's jaded. He's terribly, terribly jaded. And I can't say I blame him because if I had to spend the prime of my life watching that, I'd probably have a little bit of animosity towards the team too. But... I just want to see him win. I want to see him win for my dad. More than more than for me, more than for me to say I saw them win a Super Bowl. I want him to see them win a Super Bowl. And there are hundreds of thousands of people that would say the same thing. Yep. Because I think being a fan of the Bills is something that is passed down into your family. Oh, it is. I mean, I don't I mean it's like anything else, you know. People- I I lived I lived in Buffalo from the time I was born until I was ten years old, and my family had moved to Atlanta. 
So between six and nine when I was here, because I moved in the summer of 94, I couldn't tell you how many times our neighborhood block every Sunday was a Bills party. Every Sunday, it was at somebody's at somebody's house in the neighborhood. We would all get together and watch the Bills games. And I remember going. I remember being little and going out at halftime and playing football with all the kids in the neighborhood. And I think that's just something that you pass down to your kids. One one thing I'll never get out of my head is the comeback game. It was blacked out. So my parents have the old hi-fi system. Do you remember those? The oh. the big speakers and the turntable record player yep. that's also connected to Oh my god. Yeah. So they've got the hi-fi system going and they got all their friends over at the house and you know, I'm probably five, six years old. That was ninety three. Ninety three I would have been seven. Yeah. No, no, no. Eight. Eighty five. Yeah. Eight years old. Seven turning eight, but I digress. I I remember being a kid and having our house full of people. And, you know, people would come over to our house or they would go to their buddies' houses to watch the games. And I'd always go, you know, just because I'd play with toys and I'd hang out and I liked football. So I'd, I wouldn't break things and I'd be good and I, <laughs> I wouldn't get into trouble because I liked being around other people who liked the game. And so it's halftime of that game. And, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm in the living room and I'm playing with my toys. And I hear everyone on the radio going, I'm sorry, I got to stop you. So when you mean toys, do you mean Fisher Price coffee tables? (laughs) Oh, my God. So starting early, eight years old, flipping flipping Fisher Price 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 coffee tables. tables. I was I wasn't big enough to flip the actual coffee table. They had to get me my own for the starter kit. So I just remember hearing that first touchdown call and like running into the other room and telling all the adults, you know, hey, hey, there's a touchdown. It's a touchdown. And they were like, Yeah, that's nice. Was that the Kenny Davis to make it ten? Mm-hmm. And so then I went back out to the living room and they scored again. And I went running back in there, and I'm like, Dad, touchdown. There's another touchdown. So my dad came walking out with me to the living room. And, uh, you know, gameplay's going on. So now some more people are starting to poke their heads into the room and kind of try to listen to what's actually going on. And my dad turns it up a little bit. And and then they score again. And then you you had the onside kick in there, too. And now people are coming back into the living room. And now everyone's huddled around this radio. We score the tying, you know, we score the tying field goal. And I just remember my dad, like, like jumping around the living. I've never seen him that excited before. That moment right there is what I want. I want that for my dad. I want him to be able to watch them win a Super Bowl. I want him to find that again because that's how I am. That's how I am right now when I watch the Bills play and when I see, you know, when I go to the games and I just want him to have a little bit of that back. I want to be able to legally drink and watch a Bills playoff game, preferably with you. <laughs> In which we, I should mention, I got a 
email the other day from JP. Oh, yeah? I'm on the waiting list, 932. You're on the waiting list, huh? Number 932. Chris Kruger may be joining our uh, season t- our season ticket section. It's going to be yep. nice. That's what you do with money that you get from a divorce. So, guys, I just, I guess all in all, watching the Four Falls of Buffalo, it reminded me of just a lot about my dad and a lot about the glory days of the Bills and how, yeah, we lost four Super Bowls, and yeah, that might make us the butt of a joke, especially if you're Dennis Miller, who, by the way, Dennis Miller has never been funny. And in the early 90s, he had hair that made him look like a transvestite. Okay? The dude was a tranny. But in any event, better days are coming. They have to. And I'm going to be here, and hopefully you're all here with me. We got to go. We appreciate y'all joining us. Hopefully you guys will follow us on Twitter at Rockpile Report. If you guys have anything you want to ask, anything you want to hear talked about on the air, feel free to shoot us an email at rockpilereport716 at gmail.com. Or tweet us. Yeah, you can shoot us a tweet. We get a couple tweets here and, here and there from people. Guys, we appreciate it. Thanks for listening to our show. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Kruger, and this has been the Rockpile Report. Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.